Stephen Pierre have been doing a bit of a series on some of the values that we have um, within the vineyard. You're in a vineyard church, in case you didn't realise, just to let some of you know. And um, we're part of a huge body of churches, and there are some things that we hold very dear. Um, and I'm going to speak on one of those this morning. Last week we were looking at generosity, it was a fantastic sermon. And this morning we're going to be looking at um, something a bit different, but almost the different side of the same coin. Um, I, we have in our midst this morning, I don't want to draw attention to too many people, but we have in our midst this morning some veterans of the vineyard. And um, uh, we have little catchphrases in the vineyard, one of which I'm going to be speaking on this morning. And um, I just want to encourage those of you who've been around the vineyard for a bit, I don't mind if you call out bingo when you hear one of those catchphrases, right? Because it's going to be a bit like that. For the rest of you, it's going to maybe be, be a bit new, be a bit different. If you're not a part of this church and you're not planning on ever coming back again, I hope there's still something in this for you, um, that you would know that um, we are part of a wider body. And although there are certain things that we hold very dear, there are other parts of the body that equally holds just as significant and as important things dear. And we are just one expression of the body of Christ. We love the way that we do church. We love the mess. We love the chairs, we love the informality, we love the presence of God when we worship. Other churches love other things in other ways, but this is the way that we do church. So this morning I'm going to take a look at three stories from the Bible and consider what they tell us about what God is up to today, what he's always been up to, and what it's got to do with us. I'd like you to think about the possibility that God is at work. Yeah. All the time, everywhere, all around us. Mm. And... Maybe it isn't, if you're not prepared to go that far, to at least consider that he is itching to break in. God is almost constantly Amen. on the edge of his seat, waiting, expecting for something to happen. But either way, if we learn how to look for him, we'll see that from the highest corridors of power to the darkest places of our hearts, God is present there and ready to act. So if he is, what does that mean for us? What are the implications of that? What would it mean for us to be attentive to that, to his presence, wherever we go, whoever we're with, and whatever we're up to? Let's turn first to Genesis 12. We're going to have some of the scripture up on the screen, but I'd like to encourage you, if you've got a Bible, to read along with me. I may be making things up, and this will ensure that you keep me on the straight and narrow. Genesis 12, I believe that the history of the people of God starts with this passage starts when God speaks to Abraham and calls him to leave his home and go to a place that he doesn't know. The Lord has said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the lands that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him. That passage sets in motion all that is to come. It's a foundation story that tells us, you and I, where we've come from and what we're for. Because this is where our story begins too. God was calling Abraham away from the comfortable and the familiar to something much, much greater than himself. His promise was what he, that what he would do in Abraham, he would do through Abraham. And so he says two things that matter for us today. I will bless you to be a blessing. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Yeah. All peoples. He's saying to Abraham, what I give to you, you are to give to others. What I do in your life, I will do in the lives of those around you. Mm. 
And the story that we see unfold throughout the Old Testament is of an ordinary man who becomes the father of a broken and dysfunctional family that becomes an uncontainable nation. They are set apart for the purposes of God, and God calls them again and again and again back to himself, promising them his presence and his provision, that despite their brokenness, or perhaps even because of it, they might reflect him to those around them whilst they wait for the Saviour to come. Okay, the next passage is Luke 4. Um, jump miles ahead to the New Testament. Whoa! Yeah, amen. So Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, Jesus reads now from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Old Testament is full of promises to Abraham's family, and prophecies of what is to come. But this time, the promise is no longer of what is to come, no longer about a future to be realised, one that's beyond their imagination, that's not just about worldly peace for this tribe of people that is constantly striving and constantly battling and constantly trying to find somewhere to settle. It's not just about the restoration of a nation, but this promise is about the sick being healed, about the mourning being comforted, where the outcast is welcomed and where sins are forgiven. And this message is of a kingdom come. Yeah. That what had been prophesied for the future was now here in the present. God had arrived. His presence had broken through in a completely new way. And Jesus moves from declaring this event, declaring the arrival of this kingdom, the inauguration of this kingdom. And we know a thing or two about inaugurations these days. He moves beyond that to demonstrating what that looks like in salvation, in forgiveness, and in miracles. And again, he doesn't stop there, but he invites those around him to do the things that he will do. Let's move on now to Acts 2. You can hear the the ruffling pages. (laughs) When the Holy Spirit comes to Pentecost, there's another jump forward in the story. Something new is happening again. Something unprecedented. Yes, the Spirit of God had always been present, right from the start, brooding over creation. We know that. God had come and anointed kings. He'd anointed leaders, men and women throughout the Old Testament. He'd anointed individuals for a specific purpose, for a specific time. But not like this. Now his Spirit comes, sounding like a violent wind, looking like fire. And Peter, that impulsive failure who betrayed Jesus three times, even to a servant girl, is suddenly a new man. He is standing in front of a great crowd of people who have travelled to Jerusalem from many nations across the known world. And he explains what is happening right in front of them is this thing that has been prophesied hundreds of years before by the prophet Joel. And he reads, he, he says this, which he reads from the prophet Joel, Acts 2. He says, 
God was saying, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. Just as Jesus stood in the synagogue and declared that scripture, that promise had been fulfilled in the presence of those listening. Peter stood there that day and said, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. Mm. This promise is fulfilled here today. The Spirit of God has come so that every believer can say of Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to bring sight to the blind, to release the prisoners and to declare this is the year of the Lord's favour. Every one of them, every one of us, every one of you. And empowering and equipping had come like nothing before. Now the presence of God was being poured out on every believer, filling them with a supernatural ability to feel and see and hear what God was doing in a whole other dimension. God had come to live inside every one of them in a new way. So what God had begun in Abraham, revealing himself and imparting something of himself, so that Abraham could show the nations around what it looked like to follow the living God. Jesus came and brought himself, gave himself, firstly as a demonstration of the Father's love and what it looks like to live in response to that. And he came as a sacrifice so that we might no longer have any obstacle between us and that kind of life, that kind of living. So now here are Jesus' friends, filled with his presence, once fearful and confused. Now they are the ones extending the invitation to the nations that have come to them that they might experience the same. Because no one is outside the reach and the salvation of God. And everyone is invited to join in and participate in the work of God. Now for us in the vineyard, this church that meets here today is one of hundreds just like us. Hundreds across the UK, but we're also part of this wider body of Christ. The Anglicans and the Baptists and the Methodists. In all of those different streams that we understand as the body of Christ today. But we're very particularly of a family of church planters. And you might not know, but there are vineyard churches that meet on the banks of the Amazon in Brazil. Just as there are vineyards that meet in Southeast Asia today. There are vineyards that meet across the Middle East that we can't talk about because of the risks of the people that run those vineyards and that meet there. There are vineyards meeting all across the world today, which is exciting, fantastic for us. They're part of our wider family. But it all started back in the 60s in Southern California when a very successful musician and producer had an encounter with Jesus. He was depressed, he was drinking heavily, and both him and his wife, John and Carol Wimber, were planning their divorce. But they were separately crying out to God. And separately they encountered him, and through a local Quaker church, they became followers of Jesus. Now John tells this story. He says early on, he'd been asking someone at his church, when do we get to do the stuff? What stuff, they asked. You know, the stuff in the Bible. What do you mean, they said. Multiplying the loaves and fishes, feeding the hungry and all that stuff. And then the penny dropped. Oh, we, we don't do that. We believe it, we pray it, but we don't do it. Whoa! John said he was terribly disappointed. 
He turned and said to them, you don't understand, I gave up drugs for this. <laughs> it was over ten years later, after all sorts of twists and turns in the story, that the vineyard was born. And one of our deepest convictions is that we get to do the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That the Bingo. stuff we read about in the Bible is the stuff that we experience for ourselves. And the goal of the vineyard has always been to teach and train ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And if you look around at your neighbour, you can do that now. We're all pretty ordinary, aren't we? Wow. Any standouts amongst us? I can see a few standouts. I'd say we're pretty average. We're pretty vanilla. However, it's our goal to, to teach and to train and equip one another to do extraordinary things and to create opportunities, to create events and moments and occasions when we, you and I, can learn how to do this. It's something we call equipping the saints. Bingo. bingo. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says, Christ tells us he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the church to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. This is not church this morning, as in this building. This is not church. Church is not just what happens at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. You are the church. We are the church. Jesus says, wherever two or three of us are gathered, yeah. he is there. Yeah, amen. We are the church. So church for us, it's not a solitary religion. You can't do it on your own. Yeah. Church is the place when we gather together, where we see and learn and practice this stuff. Because it is not an internet religion, and it is not a podcast religion. Christianity is a contact sport, and we need one another. We can know it all up here, but it's got to be lived out and worked through in relationship with one another. Just as God came in the flesh, in Jesus, he comes in the flesh of those around us. See, when we're passionate for God, we're like hot coals, and we're burning up. It's fantastic. We're on fire. But often, when we fall out of the fire, we fall out of relationship with each other, church gets tired and boring, whatever it is, we start to lose our heat and we become less effective, both in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. We were made for discipleship in the midst of community. But having said that, we're not a social club either. Steve has described us, Vineyard in particular, as a battleship, as a rescue ship. And in the same way in the vineyard, we describe church as an army, a hospital, Bingo. a school, Bingo. and a family. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> and there are times in our lives when we need, every one of us, we need the church to be those things to us. So if the last thing you need is church as an army this morning, you are welcome here to receive church as a family. If what you need is putting back together is an arm around your shoulder, you're welcome here as family this morning. Yeah, amen. So come for comfort. If you're desperate for Jesus, come. But if you come and expect to be spoon-fed every Sunday, you will be disappointed. Because we're not passive observers. Yeah. We're not spectators. We're invited to be participants. Wimber once said the church is, is to be an army, not an audience. It's not about the focus on the one on stage. It's oh, about equipping and releasing the church for the work of the kingdom. Okay. 1 Peter 2 describes us as a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, and it's partly from this passage that we arrive at what we call the priesthood of all believers, or in vineyard speak, everyone gets to play. Bingo. <laughs> the message translation describes it as this, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, 
chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you. From nothing to something, every one of us, from rejected to accepted. What God has done for us and in us, he wants to do through us for the benefit of those around us. And everyone is invited to join in. So if someone was to ask, who are the ministers of this church? We would reply, we are. <laughs> in Avenius, the bar is set really, really low, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, just for participating in what God is doing. From Sunday mornings to small groups and healing on the streets, from the youngest to the oldest, we believe that our children are agents of God as much as we are. Everyone gets to play. Whatever age or stage we're at, God still has more for us as well. Yeah. We have someone celebrating their 70th birthday this week, and she is more than aware that God has more for her in the years to come. This is for men and women. God's work for us is not gender specific, and it never has been. And I will arm wrestle you to my death with that. <laughs> Children's ministry is not women's ministry, yeah. any more than worship ministry is men's ministry. God will pour out his spirit on those who are willing to serve in whatever capacity. Yeah. And he is looking for gifting over, and character over age or gender. Mm. If you're sitting in your seat praying for God to use you, I would go and have a look around the church, have a look at what's going on in your neighborhood, see what God is doing and join in and God yeah. will use you. Well, God yeah. is working right now out in the children's ministry. So if you're wondering how you can get involved in this church, I would go and join that team because God is at work there right now. So from every background and culture, whatever your job or passion, whatever your history or your personality, you are invited to join in Amen. with what God is doing Amen. and what he has always been doing. Mm. You will never feel like you are ready. You will never know enough Bible. You will never be holy enough. You will never have read the best books or got the latest worship album. Enough, but everyone gets to play. Come on. Okay. So we are not trying to work ourselves up into some supernatural frenzy. We don't do that. We, it's not a sort of signs of wonders competition where only the fittest Christians survive. <laughs> doing the stuff, the supernatural, the extraordinary stuff, as well as doing the coffee and putting out the chairs and doing the laptops at the back. Let's hear it for those guys. Yeah. None of these things are the work of specialists or superhumans. John Wimber frequently described himself as just a fat man trying to get to heaven. <laughs> so what does this look like? If it's not a spectator sport, it's not a social club, it's not for specialists, it's not for superhumans, what does it look like? There's another bingo coming up. God has invited us, invited us to come as we are. Bingo. Um, we come empty-handed, wherever we're at, whatever brokenness you have, whatever you come with this morning, whatever your journey, come, bring it in, don't leave it at the door. Come in with what you've got and where you've come from and where you're yeah. at, don't hide it. Yeah. Don't shove it in a box somewhere as you listen to this sermon, put on your superhero cape because you've been blessed to be a blessing and now yes. you're being equipped to save the world. We, just, we don't have room for Messiah complexes here. <laughs> just come as you are. Because church should be our safe place. Yeah. It should be where we're accepted in that way. And we can make mistakes together. And we can learn and we can grow. We can wrestle with our doubts. And we can figure things out together. It isn't always like that. But it should be. And it's up to us to make it that kind of place. 
So nothing disqualifies you from being here or participating in what God is doing. Not uncertainty or fear. Not your past or your present. Even if this is your first time here this morning, you just came to see a lovely dedication. God can still speak to you yeah. and he can move in you and through you. We're not here to become triumphant overcomers without weakness or doubt. We're not seeking perfection for ourselves or the perfect church. I really hope not because you will be severely disappointed. It's true. <laughs> we are just a family on a mission and we don't participate once we're holy. We don't participate once we've got healed. We're healed as we go. Somehow God uses us in spite of ourselves and often he takes your greatest weakness and your deepest pain and uses it to meet other people at their point of need too. What we are called to be is what Henry Nguyen called wounded healers or what Wimber called leaders with a limp. Bingo. Bingo. Like Jacob after wrestling with God. So we come, we meet together because we need him. I need him, you need him. And we need each other. And it's here, as we gather together, where we learn how to receive all that God has for us. How to live the life of a disciple. And how to do the stuff that the disciples did. So that we can grow up. Shall I say it? When we used to like to say, we need to grow up before we grow old. Um, we've got to learn how to receive, how to take what we've been given and how to give it away, every single one of us. So we, don't, we come as we are, but because we've got work to do, we don't stay as we are. Any time that we spend in the presence of Jesus changes us, and it's his presence that we need, because it's the giver that we seek and not these gifts. Having said all that I've said, and I can't stress enough that everyone gets to play, means Everyone gets to play. These gifts, the ones that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, that we are so eagerly to desire, they are not the mark of discipleship. Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Because that's the really tough stuff. Loving ourselves as much as those around us. Loving as freely as we have been loved. Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 13, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So love is what drives us. These gifts, these amazing things, the supernatural, the extraordinary, they are just the tools in our toolkit. They are the resources that we reach for when we are moved by love. When we see the person in front of us and we feel desperately out of our depth, we feel poverty-stricken and incapable and incompetent, and we reach for these things, and we, and we dare to get out of the boat, step off the cliff, and say five magic words. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And we have no idea what's going to happen. And we really have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, we're literally like, can I pray for you? And with the other part of us, we're like, help! <laughs> and that's the best prayer that we can pray. In that moment, we reach for the gift of faith. We reach for the gift of healing. We reach for a word of knowledge or a prophetic word. We reach for what we need. 
and we are crying out silently to God for him to show up. We pray with our eyes open. We invite his presence to come. We don't need to use lots of words. Don't think you have to have a theology degree before you can pray for the sick. Our best, praise, other than, our best prayers, other than help, are more Lord. That's a really tough one, isn't it? Can you repeat that after me? More Lord. 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 Good one. Or yes, Lord. That's another tricky one. Or the really complicated one. You ready? Come Holy Spirit. Yeah. I can see a challenge by that. So these are the simple prayers that we pray when we, when we say to someone, can I pray for you? And they might look at us wide-eyed like I've never heard of that before in my life. They might be down here at the front and they've responded to something specific that they want prayer for. And we can say, can I pray for you? You might say, is there something specific that I can pray for you? So when we keep our eyes open, they can close their eyes, they don't need to get distracted. We keep our eyes open, we're watching, we're looking, we're attentive to what the Lord is doing. Whatever it is that needs to be done. There needs to be more listening on our part than talking. It's not about what we can pray, it's about what the Lord is doing. And we're looking and we're listening because he is at work. Sometimes you might see someone's eyelids flickering. They might get a trembliness on them. You might see a peace over them. All sorts of things going on. But we're looking with eyes of love at the one that we're praying for, asking God to show us what he sees. We're looking for a picture or a word, something that might describe what's going on with them or describe something that God wants to do in them. But we're just being attentive. Most of all, we're just being attentive. And we can stop them. You can stop and ask them, what is God doing with you? Do you know what God's doing with you? Uh, Has the pain left? How are you feeling right now? Is there any more things that I can pray? We're not worried. We're not worried about God's presence going. There might be snot and tears. That's fine. Let the person go with it. But at some point, we can stop and say, what's going on here? The Lord's not going to leave. He's not going to be like, you've interrupted. He will come back and he will keep doing what he's doing. We are his priests. We're just there to minister. We're there to facilitate what God is doing. We're like, like the vessel, like the drain pipe through which he can make contact with the person in front of us sometimes. And we, you and I, most of us here, we are rich with his presence. Most of us here, we are rich with his presence. And if you don't feel like that this morning, if you feel like your tank is empty or your batteries are run down, whatever crude analogy you want to use, come and get filled up again. Come and receive more. If you feel like your resources have run dry, literally your resources have run dry, you have no money in your bank account, you have no energy, you have no home, or you feel like, I have none of God in me right now. I used to have some of God in me, but I don't anymore. Come, come and get filled again. So we can learn how to do this stuff better, but we are always learning, every one of us, always learning. To love God and to love our neighbours, this is our primary calling. This is our commission. In the vineyard, we say that we are worshippers of God and rescuers of men. Everyone gets to participate in this, but we can make it a lot easier for ourselves the more we practice. So what we practice is the pursuit of God. Every one of us can do that. Just practice pursuing God. We practice our attentiveness to him. We learn how to recognise what it is that he is doing and what that looks like in those around us. We do this purposefully by setting ourselves apart for him, by daily worshipping, by interrupting our preoccupation with ourselves, by retuning our reception to his frequency, and by reading our Bibles, reminding ourselves of our story in the midst of all the narratives that we hear out there. 
We do those things purposefully. But spontaneously you will find that the more we pay attention to God intentionally, the easier it is to do it spontaneously. When you're at work, God is at work with you. When you're at work, God is at work with you. And God is busy in your workplace. And you might come to church on a Sunday morning and you hear these stories of healing or these stories of this and, and you think, but I'm not healing anyone in my workplace and I'm not bringing anyone to Jesus in my workplace. You know, don't worry about it. Really, please, don't worry about it. God is at work in you and if God has put you in that place, he is at work in that place. Mm -hmm. yeah. God will be doing something yeah. in those people yeah. there. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it. It's not your job to bring revival before Monday lunchtime. Yeah. <laughs> it really isn't. God is at work in that place and he will equip you and enable you to be the best accountant, the best teacher, the best social worker, the best mum at the school gate, the best dad at the school gate, the best sandwich maker, whatever it is. God will equip you and enable you to be the best that you can be in the midst of those circumstances and let him take care of the rest. John and Debbie Wright, who now lead the vineyard in the UK, have described our purpose partly as this, and on this I'm going to end. They have said, we are God's children, empowered by his spirit, extending his kingdom together, everywhere, in every way. We will serve people, especially the poor and the vulnerable, and we will communicate the goodness of Jesus with compassion and generosity. God is at work and every one of us yeah. is invited to join in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, she stand. Thank you. So we know that God is here. We've already experienced God this morning.